there are a lot of ways out there and there are a lot of different avenues you can use to donate money or raise money for the war effort in Ukraine. Perhaps none has quite caught the imagination quite the way the one thought up by my next guest. Toronto's Christian Boris is the driving force behind the popular popularity of an image of the Virgin Mary holding an anti-tank Javelin missile called St. Javelin. It has become an image of the resistance to the Russian invasion and counts even President Vladimir Zelensky amongst his fans. He received a t-shirt from none other than the defense minister, I believe, just recently. This isn't in English, but you'll get the idea. What is this for you? That must have been an incredible, I mean, I know I read the background of how this all started quite, you know, quite innocently and quite uh, without huge expectations about what could happen. And next thing you know, you're back in Ukraine and the president's getting one of your t-shirts. It's, it's quite the story. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Today, um, I got a picture of Vitaly Klitschko, uh, who is the mayor of Kiev and also former heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, also holding a Saint Javelin shirt, so um, it's it's all it's all very very surreal at this point. I once stood in an elevator in Kiev with uh, Vitaly Klitschko. I, I imagine that would have had to been a special ordered shirt because he's a very big man. Yeah, the person who gave him the shirt was uh, I think he was a two or yeah he was a two XL, and I don't think it fit Klitschko because he's probably he's like six eight or something like that. Yeah. So how did this begin? I mean, I, I know a bit about the background of the image itself. It started off by by an artist who who it's actually an image of the Virgin Mary with an AK-47. It was then adapted. How did you come upon it? And where did the idea come to sort of make this, to sort of to put it out there and to raise money for the war effort? So, so yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, it was, it was already a meme um, <clears throat> that was floating around on the internet and, and I just took it. Uh, because a friend of mine told me that he turned it into uh, some stickers and he sent it out to some buddies. And um, that's all I really wanted to do as well. You know, I, I really didn't have expectations of anything like this, right? This is so beyond what I, I reasonably could have expected. So I took, I took the meme, um, made some stickers, uh, put it up on my Instagram and just said, you know, Hey, I'm going to try to sell some of these and raise a little bit of money for charity. Um, and this was around February 15th before the war started. And, um, I think basically what happened is that people responded to the symbol of it because it symbolizes Western support, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. the javelin is really the, the one thing that Ukraine desperately asked for before this latest invasion. So Ukraine was asking for the javelin for a long, long time. Um, and, and by getting it, it was, you know, the key symbol of support for Ukraine. And then, and then religious icons have been used to, to for morale support and war for, you know, f- forever, realistically. Right. Um, so it just, it, it just, it kind of merged together. And it was one of the first um, fundraising campaigns for Ukraine, uh, but, you know, it was it was there before the war started, right? So, 
when people um, really saw on February 23rd, February 24th, that Russia invaded, um, they were looking for ways to support. And, and this was one of the ways that they could not just not just donate, but also um, wear their support. How quickly did it did it blossom, so to speak? I didn't want to use the word viral, but how quickly did it did it uh, did it blossom for you? Uh, so, so the first day I launched it, so, so I put it, I put up the picture on my Instagram and I said, Hey, does anybody want, does anybody want to order stickers? Right? <laughs> right. Um, and I got a bunch of messages on my, on my personal Instagram and cause I didn't set anything up yet at that point. And then, um, a couple people, I, I put up a website that night in, you know, 30 minutes, it was like 11 30 PM when it launched. And then, um, we got two orders for 80 bucks. And I thought to myself, like, wow, this is awesome. And then the next day was a thousand dollars. And then the day after that, it was 5,000. And then it was $5,000 a day for like three days or four days. Um, and at that point it was already out of control. I had no, you know, method or process for how to actually make all of that stuff. Right. Um, and it was, I think it was just stickers at that point. And then we added t-shirts and then, you know, all sorts of other stuff came online after. Um, and then the day that Russia attacked in, in, you know, in what we're seeing now, this, this war in 2022, um, that's when it really started to get, uh, viral. And, um, and it's because people were looking for ways that they could support because it was such a binary, like, I think it's very rare to have such a a, um, a a clear delineation between good and evil in war, right? We're used to, uh, in, in like our lifetimes, we're used to seeing wars that are, um, you know, you don't know which side is good and which side is bad, right? A lot of the time. Um, and here it's very, very clear. So people were just rushing to, to find ways that they could support. And um, and we were already, already there. So it just, yeah, it just kind of, went crazy from from there listeners should know that, that christian spent a lot of time in ukraine including in the east i was in the east back in 2014 as well not uh not as long or as widespread as you were um but but certainly uh, you knew a lot about this going in so in some ways i would imagine it was also your way of lending of lending support yeah it was hard for me to understand what was about to happen and sit around and do nothing about it it was impossible for me to do that um so it basically it started to consume my life um, in January when everybody started sounding the alarm bells because I, I used to be a journalist and um, yeah. I'm still friends with a lot of journalists and, you know, defense analysts and, and those types of people whose job it is to pay attention to what's going on. And they already saw the troop movements that Russia was putting on the border in as far back as October, I think was the first time that somebody started ringing the alarm bells of like, these are unusual troop, uh, troops on the board. And uh, January became very apparent that February, obviously, even Biden was ringing the alarm bells, right? So um, I, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't just sit around and, and watch and do nothing. I'll, at the same time, like, I never could have expected this, right? I'm thankful that that this has happened because it's been um it it, it feels like we're, we're doing something um even though realistically you know it, it it does seem like a lot of money but realistically it's a drop in the bucket of what's required but um yeah it's 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 all just been kind of surreal 
Where did you, uh, I gather there was a Canadian-based charity that you sort of first just, uh, that you sort of started guiding this stuff towards. Where has where the money gone and, and, and how have you managed to sort of handle a business that, I mean, in some senses it is a business, it's growing so fast, it must be difficult just to keep up and then make sure that everything is in order and all that stuff. Yeah, um, so so it it's <laughs> to two parts, I guess. The first part, um, we originally were giving money to Help Us Help. So that was uh, the goal from the start, which is a registered Canadian charity that's been working in Ukraine since 1991. So their original mandate was to um, work with Ukrainian orphans. And then in 2014, they started working with um, victims uh, of violence in Ukraine uh, from, from the war that started in 2014. And um, they worked with um, soldiers who required PTSD uh, treatment and, and um, you know, orphans who had lost their parents at war, um, women who had lost their husbands. Um, they basically ex- extended their scope. And I visited, you know, their, their programs quite a few times when I was in Ukraine. So it was, it was, it was the first organization um, that I wanted to, to give this money to. Uh, so we ended up giving them, I think, over half a million dollars. Um, and then, and then we started expanding to different organizations in Ukraine, like um, Red, the Ukrainian Red Cross, not ICRC, but Ukrainian Red Cross. Because a good friend of mine um, and my former landlord is uh, Evgeny Maloletka, who was the guy who took the photos in Mariupol that became, um, you know, seen around the world, and I think really changed the course of the war. He took those photos at the maternity hospital that was bombed, right, of course, and. Um, yeah, and uh, so he told me that uh, Ukrainian Red Cross was doing great work in Mariupol, so we donated it to them. Um, I donated uh, to a, uh, an organization called 2402.org, um, which was started by uh, some journalist friends of mine, some good friends who, um, they're Ukrainian, and uh, they are buying protective equipment for journalists, so bulletproof vests, uh, first aid kits, stuff like that, so they can continue to do their work uh, safely, because there's been so many journalists who have been killed in this in this war already. And, um, and then... I've honestly lost track of who else we've done. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, but no, exa- no I know. I, I could ask you again if you'd like. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase. I was going to ask you just about trying to keep everything under control, how, given how fast it's growing. I also understand that that you're looking at sort of trying to move some of the production of, of stuff to to Ukraine to create jobs as well. And we'll get to that. We'll just take a quick break and we'll get right back to that uh, after this. I'm speaking with Christian Boris this half hour. He is a Toronto entrepreneur, a former journalist who spent a lot of time working in Ukraine. He's also the driving force behind what is perhaps the most iconic image so far of resistance in Ukraine. It's called the Saint Javelin. It is literally an image of the Virgin Mary in Ukrainian, the colors of the Ukrainian flag, holding a javelin, which is a U.S.-made anti-tank weapon, certainly a weapon that has come to symbolize the resistance to the Russian invasion as well. Um Kristen, you were just there. You've been that. You spent a lot of time there over the years. What's the mood like now? I, I'm curious. It's been a few months now that this has been happening. Um, you know, I, I think it's turned out in ways that many people didn't expect to some extent. What's the mood been like as far as you could see? Um, it's 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 interesting because uh, I went to Kiev, and um, the day that I left. Uh, I was hesitant to get on the train because there was 
rumors that the Russians would attack train stations again, because they did in um, Kramatorsk. Right. And when I left, um, I got on a night train, I got to cave. And as I pulled into cave, uh, they bombed right beside the central train station in Lviv and they hit a tire repair shop. They missed, they missed the tracks and they hit a tire repair shop and they killed eight people. Um, and that was the first major sort of attack in, in Western Ukraine. And, um, and then in, 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 oh, sorry, on like on, on train infrastructure. And then when I got right. to, when I got to Kiev, um, you know, you heard air raid sirens every single day and, and people just got tired of it. You know, it, 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 it became so exhausting for them to, to go down to the shelters every day. And I think the mood changed when the Russians were beaten out of the entire Kiev region. Uh, so when the, you know, when Russian tanks were no longer 40 kilometers uh, from Kiev, um, people were able to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief, although they still did attack with cruise missiles. That is still a, um, a huge threat to, you know, your, your average person all over Ukraine. Um, past couple of days, they've had, you know, attacks all over the country and air raid sirens all over. Um, so it's, it's strange because people are returning to life people are flooding back to the capital the cave um if you go to lviv you can walk around and um people are trying to enjoy the spring weather and you know get back to some sort of some sort of sense of normalcy and and, and life and get back to work and stuff like that um but everybody's still obviously very cognizant of not only the threat but also what's happening in eastern ukraine again um donbass is is the focal point again uh because the russians have you know concentrated their their forces there um after being defeated in in kiev so uh, uh people said some interesting things to me basically saying you know even though kiev is is, is no longer under threat um from you know russian soldiers in in the region they still wake up every day and they they want to acknowledge the sacrifice that uh, their people are making out East and um, they don't want to lose sight of, they don't want to return to too much normalcy because they don't want to forget about what's happening out East because it is, I know it's it sounds strange, but it is easy to forget that there's a war happening when you're in cave and in Lviv because you're not hearing the sound of shelling all the time. Right. I remember that so vividly from spending time in Donetsk and Mariupol in 2014, where there was a, a war going on, and you'd go back to Kiev, and it was like you'd left it. You'd like you'd left it behind. It was a completely different atmosphere. That's really what I was curious about to see what it was like now, because I would have suspected it would have changed just given the severity of what's happened. Um, you, you've looked at expanding this. That you're, you're going to devote yourself. You're obviously devoting yourself to the Saint Javelin uh, project. Project. Uh, it's done so well. Uh, you're also looking at, at, at trying to move some of the production because I guess that's also a challenge trying to get the stuff made. You're trying to move some of that production to Ukraine as well. I understand. Yeah, uh, production and a team. So we have. I can't remember how many people we honestly have on on this now uh, full time. But my goal is to turn it into 
something that exists um, long term. So not just a you know two month charitable project, but uh, turn it into a company that can be sustainable and and is a social enterprise that lasts for you know decades potentially um, or or longer. Who who knows? I I just I don't want to see it as a two month campaign anymore. I want I want this brand to last for a long time. And I want, um, we've already started the process. We've already sourced our first products um, that are going to be made in Ukraine. We ordered uh, a thousand uh, Velcro patches, um, St. Javelin patches to be made in Ukraine. I was literally just um, texting with the, the Minister of Defense, Alexei Reznikov, and uh, right. and he asked for a hundred of them. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to, he's the one who gave the, he's the one who gave the t-shirt to the president, right? That's that's Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, we're making shirts, um, we're making hats. And, uh, I had a call this morning with a production, um, company in Chernihiv, which was a Northern city just North of Kiev. And it was the first point of attack for the Russians that were coming into um, into uh, the Kiev region, so they were heavily, heavily bombarded, um, not just by you know tanks and 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 regular troops, but also by aircraft. So uh, a huge portion of their city um, is is destroyed, and um, but they're trying to get back to work now, and they're trying to you know sort of sem- semblance of normalcy in their in their lives so they they are um offering us uh you know whatever they can um to be able to produce hats you know shirts stuff stuff like that right obviously in limited quantities because um they they can't produce you know huge scale right now or while they try to rebuild but they're i i want to i want to be able to work with people and companies like that to at least, you know, we're not going to have a a huge meaningful impact on the Ukrainian economy, but even if it's just a a morale boost to them to be like, Hey, um, you know, we're giving you some business. Um, You guys can, you know, get, get back to a little bit of of normal life. I think that would be fantastic. And then we'll do those sort of limited um, edition drops we call them with um, factories across Ukraine. So we've got hats being made in Kharkiv right now, which is uh, a city in eastern Ukraine that's been that's still under attack um, mm-hmm. every day. And uh, yeah, we're we're doing a, a, a bunch of stuff like that. We've been hiring people in Ukraine, so I think we have six people um, hired in Ukraine now. So I, I kind of see it like you know Patagonia's mission statement is we're in business to save the environment and our mission statement now is we're in business to build Ukraine. Uh, and you've mentioned it's going to need rebuilding. Where can people find you? If, if people want to look online for you, where can they find you, Christian? Yeah, they can go to um, www.saintjavelin.com and it's saint spelled S-A-I-N-T. And uh, if they try to look us up on Instagram, that's kind of hard to find us because Facebook's um, done some um, black magic with our account. Yeah, they, uh, they make Javelin. it impossible com. to find us. Should yeah, be, yeah. It should be, should be easy to find. Christian Boris, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you.